this mic on? Check test. Thank you. Uh, today we look at what I appears appears or I would think is a pretty familiar story in Second Samuel. It is uh, David's great fall in Second Samuel eleven. Um, first of all, putting this series together, I really was kind of struck with there's two major sins. Sometimes we think it's all kind of one big thing, um, but I thought it would be pretty good to split up the two things. One would be adultery and one would be murder. And so today all I have is the adultery part. Lord willing, in uh, two weeks we'll hear about uh, the murder. But um, anytime we have, or let me talk to you as, you know, what goes on in James Clifford's mind. It's good to not get used to stories in the Bible, and it's good to review them, um, and it's good to listen, even if we've heard the things that have been told us before, because many times I have realized that there's so many lessons I have learned, and yet I don't apply them. And so sometimes we are people that need to hear the lesson four to five times before we actually apply it. But I want to do more than um, the present time in the text. I want to talk a little bit about where David is at. So I think too many times we focus on exactly what happened and not how he got there. So let's read. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elim, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, again, We are completely amazed that when you anointed King David, you knew this was going to happen. Lord, there are so many things in our own lives that um, you knew exactly the choices we'd make. You still saved us. You still brought us to a position that we might be the children of God. And so we thank you so much for doing so many things above and beyond what we even think or talk about. Lord Jesus, during this time, we pray that we would see you clearly. We would behold your character, that we might actually live out the fact that we have been made in the image of God. That when uh, people see us, our lifestyles would give them an image of the true and mighty one. And so help us to learn during these times. Let the Spirit of God control me and the hearts of the people in the room. May you do the work uh, that you do, that you convict people of sin, you encourage and build up. Let our love for one another increase. May you be 
glorified in the process. In your name, amen. I want to start at Psalms 51. Another uh, chapter that might be familiar to you. In Psalm 51, it is uh, the psalm of what happens after this event. Right in the beginning there, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Starting in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. I want to look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Many people would say that uh, he's talking about the fact that he feels so bad now that he's sinned. Restore to me my joy. I disagree. I think David here is sitting here saying, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because I didn't have joy that I once had before this incident happened. To restore actually means to go back to the beginning. What's his salvation? Again, these are interesting words, right? Where again, in this time, we think salvation is believing on Jesus Christ, the gospel. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you'll be saved. That's not David's salvation. It's not a salvation. In fact, there is... Um, you could say that David looked forward to a salvation in the future. But I think some of this is his literal salvation. He has been saved from the hand of Saul. He's been hit, saved from the Goliath the Philistine. He's been saved from treacherous battles. People have wanted to kill him almost his whole life. <laughs> and so he's saying, bring me back to the beginning when I knew you were doing a work saving me and we had this intimacy, and I was filled with joy. I just know in my own life, I have been really convicted on this again, because it's something that I have constantly preached on. And yet, I need to be reminded over and over again, why do we obey, and do we love Him? I think David is in a time in his life where he finally just wants to take a break. Things are good. He's king. He's just defeated the Philistines. So his major enemies are done with. He doesn't worry about Saul no more. Things are very well for him in the kingdom. And I don't know, but I could definitely relate, where he might just be saying, I just, I'm, I'm good right now. I just want to relax. I just want to kind of relax. And life gets busy for all of us, right? And yes, there's a whole piece of the puzzle. We are called to relax, take heed to yourselves, your rest. But where does your rest come from? The Lord. And so, maybe, as he tries to take a break from normal craziness, that's like an oxymoron, of his life, what he has forgotten in this point is his walk with the Lord. And he's put that on hold too. He's taking the Lord for granted. I hate to, uh, you know, you hear about it in marriages, right? 
Wait till you've been married 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. It's not the same. I don't know if that's always true, or do we just take our spouse for granted? Because we know things. We've lived with them so long that we just kind of take them for granted. And it's not that the love diminishes. It's not that you don't love them. It's not that you want someone else. But you're not pursuing them like you used to. I think the same thing happens in our spiritual walks. It's not necessarily that you want to go to the world. It's not necessarily that you want to rebel. It's not necessarily that you're tired of God. You just take Him for granted. Because <laughs> you know the answers. You know He loves you. And you just kind of coast. I think, restoring to me the joy of my salvation, He wants to go back before the sin. Not after the sin. He wants to restore a relationship with God where he was completely enthralled in, with him. Where you read all the Psalms, where David just delighted himself in God. And I don't think that was happening. And that's a huge background. That's a huge foundation for look what happens when that goes. And I think we are all susceptible to it. The older I get, Yes, murder, adultery, those are absolutely wicked things, abominations even. And, and I don't sit there and go, anymore, I can't believe that person did it. I don't do that. Because every single one of us in this room has that potential. And I know I, I don't want to sound Sunday school. So I don't want to sound like, oh yeah, that's true. But no, that is the truth. <laughs> that is the solid truth. That you have a flesh that if you stop relying on the Lord, if you stop reading the Word, if you stop pursuing Him, you can get into a position where you do those things. And it will change your life. It's the potential for all of us. And so I just, if I could have the main theme for today, I just want to encourage us and say, do you still love Him? Do you still love Him? Remember in Revelation where it talks about all the great works, I think it's the church in Ephesus, did, but they forgot their first love. In Jeremiah 2, 2, the Lord's talking to Israel saying, remember when you pursued me, and you're not doing that anymore. There's numerous accounts biblically where it says, you have lost your love for me. And again, do we really think it's about works? And when we say it's not, but when we judge the maturity of a believer, a lot of times we judge them based on the works they're doing instead of how much do you love them. When we take real love for granted, it should scare us. When we do not have real feelings of love for God, it should make us nervous. It should make us nervous. I always... Um, just, I know who I am, right? There's been so many times where I literally missed spending time with him. Where devotions and reading my Bible was not some obligation. It was not something I had to do. I would wake up and look forward to it. I would wake up and if I could, if I didn't do it that day, if things got busy, I would legitimately be like, Lord, I, I missed you today. And then there's numerous times in my life where I wake up and go, I have to do this before I go to work. Those are two completely different um, positions you can be in before the Lord. 
And the Lord wants us to have real feelings of love for Him. (laughs) Do you love Him? Alright, let's look back into the text with that in the background. Because I think he has lost his first love. And when that happens, things can get a little messed up. Okay. The first verse, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So obviously David's not where he's supposed to be. The springtime, so hey man, we're, we're in it right now. Things are muddy. You go out in my backyard right now, it's a little muddy. The reason they would not go to war during that time is because the troops are walking through mud and it gets all kind of crazy. So basically they'd have to wait until the ground was solidified, not the muddy season, so they could go to war and it'd kind of be like a fair fight instead of fighting in war. And look what happens. They go, David does not go. Why doesn't David go? Well, again, I don't think we can be dogmatic, but I'll give you three ways or three reasons he might not have gone. Probably the biggest one to me, after all his past as a warrior, all the things he's done leading in battle, maybe he feels like, I'm not needed in this one. Why do I say that? I think it's interesting that the Spirit of God says that they destroyed the people of Ammon and Rebah. This was not a hard victory. They went out to war and they destroyed them. And so as David's sitting there in his palace going, you know what, guys? We, we fought the Philistines. That was some crazy war. We beat them. I know this battle. I'm not needed in this. Someone who thinks like that, is again making it about themselves instead of so many times David said, Lord, should I go fight? And now he's not praying those prayers, it seems. He's just looking at it through human eyes saying, you know what, guys? I'm not needed in this battle. I'm not needed. And I wonder, do we do that sometimes, especially in the local assembly? I'm just not, I'm not needed. You guys got that. I always love that phrase. Someone will take care of it. Who is the someone? (laughs) We throw that phrase out all the time. Someone will take care of it. Who is the someone? I'd love to meet them. Because it's us. Maybe he's just plain tired of fighting. Guys fought a lot of battles. And he finally has peace on all sides. And the major one, Philistines, is destroyed. Maybe he's just tired. Maybe he just doesn't feel like fighting. A verse that has constantly been going through my mind is the idea of when Peter is restored. Remember the three times the Lord says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. I think the next one is take care of my sheep. That is so astronomically powerful in my life lately. Of any kind of service for the Lord, fighting any kind of battle, Why would you do it? And Jesus says, do you love me? Then you can do this. Peter, if you don't love me, don't try to feed the sheep. Peter, I'm going away. Peter, you're going to be 
one of the instruments I have used to start the age of the church. There's going to be a lot of people coming up to you, confronting you. There's going to be so many questions. Judaism is fading away. A new work, a new covenant is in order. Peter, you're going to go through a lot of stuff. If you really want to work with these people, you really want to work in the church, your absolute motivation must be, do you love me? Anything outside. Anything outside of loving me. Don't feed my sheep. That's why we do it. And this goes back to, I think, that's where David might just be tired. Because he used to fight for the Lord. Now, the Lord is just someone that maybe his love has grown a little cold. There in verse 2, it says it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Evening would mean around dusk. I don't know what time does it get dark now, around 7.30. So, why is David taking a nap and waking up at around 7.30? Maybe he's partying. <laughs> Maybe he's staying up all night, sleeping during the day. Maybe he's just lazy. I don't know. But even when you're tired, you usually take a nap somewhere when you get home from work, somewhere in the afternoon. It's almost like you never take a nap right before it gets dark out because what if you're afraid you'll sleep through the night? Or you don't want to wake up, be refreshed, and then go back to bed in like two hours for the night. This is an extremely weird time to be waking up. And that's what we're going to see. What is he doing? It could simply mean, like I said, that he is lazy at this point. He's lazy. He's lost the drive to fight. And again, (laughs) there is always a part of us that feels like we've earned it. And if there's anyone that in human terms, has earned it, we could say it's David. The guy had some raw things happen to him. Trying not to get killed, had to wait to be king, a warrior, all these things, people hating him for no reason, his brothers hating him for no reason. He has finally hit the dream. Guy's living in the palace. Can he just be a little lazy for a little bit? Can he just step back and sleep when he wants? Go to bed when he wants? Who's going to argue with him? Who's going to argue with the king? And not just any king, someone that the people love, who's done tremendous things for the country. Who's going to say, David, you shouldn't be sleeping right now? Who's going to say that to him? Laziness creeps up on all of us. Turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 30. I went by the field of a lazy man, of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. There it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I considered it, when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. 
a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. There's a few things here when he's observing. One, he sees a lot of thorns, which means no fruits getting done in the vineyard anymore. You see, when you're lazy, you don't produce fruit. You don't produce fruit. So we're talking about just day in, day out, living right now. When you're lazy as a Christian, you don't produce fruit. And it's not just about you. It's body life. We're edified when you produce fruit through the Spirit. (laughs) We're built up. We might even enjoy the fruit of your labor. There's no fruit in a lazy man. The broken down walls means there's no defense. Anyone can get into the property. Oh, how easy it is for him just to see a naked woman. And then suddenly, feelings are rushing in. There's no filters, no nothing. The enemy's just just rushing in. Gotcha. Gotcha. You gotta have protection. You gotta have stone walls. You've gotta, the idea of a gate is sometimes just to keep things out. And you know what's interesting is a lot of times those gates and stuff, you might go a whole lifetime and nothing ever comes in because the fence was there and you almost take the fence for granted. But the reason people might not have ever passed the fence is because the fence is there. As soon as you take the fence down, people come to rob you. I'm just talking about, you know, using the analogy, sometimes a fence is one of those things that you build and you might not ever see what it's actually keeping out. It doesn't mean you let it get broken down. <laughs> There's always the flesh. There's always satanic warfare. There's always those that want your soul. Always. Always. There are always people at work who you come into day in, day out, who long for you to ruin your testimony. Always. And that, that's the tough thing as a believer. You can have a solid testimony. Eight, nine, ten years. You make one mistake and your testimony can be ruined for the rest of the time at that job. That's just the way it is. The Bible warns against it. Look how much people always talk about this with David. What a great guy. But, but, and everyone in the room knows what that is. Bathsheba. It is a mark on David for the rest. And we're still talking about it thousands of years later. People don't forget that stuff. That's why you guard. You guard those things coming in. I love how it says poverty there, like an armed robber. You know, no one gets robbed slowly. Right? (laughs) No one's like, hey, I'm going to slowly... Take some of the stuff out of the house right now. I'm going to take the TV today. Tomorrow, I'll take the jewelry. Next week, I'm coming back for the shoes. It never happens like that. It's always out of the blue, you're robbed. Out of the blue, you're robbed. That's what happens when you're lazy. Out of the blue, something got taken away from me. I was robbed. I didn't see it coming. That's why we cannot be lazy. We cannot be lazy. Listen, his sleep is very important too. 
Sleep is extremely important. I have said this sometimes, and I'm still trying to learn it, how much your sleep affects your spiritual walk, how much your health affects your spiritual walk. We are living in times where everyone's busy. We can leave the lights on. People will debate, how many hours of sleep do I need a night? Five, six, can I bring it down to four and a half? I have so much to do. Listen, you have to be very careful if you're tired. <laughs> you have to be very careful because you're completely defenseless against the flesh sometimes when you're tired. And sometimes we blow it up into these big spiritual things like, how in the world did I sin like that? What in the world went wrong? Wasn't I reading my Bible? Wasn't I praying? Wasn't I serving to the Lord? And sometimes it is as simple as you, you got too tired. You got too tired, and you made stupid choices. I'm going to tell you something. Again, in my own personal life, I am now freaked out sometimes of the Mondays after serving at camp for a week. The Monday after a long weekend of doing some kind of service for the Lord. When you are on cloud 11, I don't know, I just wanted to go above 9. Spiritually, where you are having one of the best times with you and the Lord ever. And you're exhausted because you're going to bed super late, getting up early, you're talking to people you're mentally, physically exhausted. And you are at a place spiritually where you absolutely love. And you cannot imagine why you have so much temptation as soon as it all stops. And that Monday, you just want to watch something that you should not be watching. You want to go talk to someone, just have a conversation that is completely ungodly. You just want to, just, I just, I just, I don't want to rest. And I just want to indulge a little bit. Freaks me out. You have to be careful with your sleep. Sometimes the answer, especially if we're talking about sexual sin today, with pornography, is it as easy sometimes as just going to bed and getting more rest? <laughs> is it that easy? I don't think it's that easy. I know it's a bigger help than you would think to just be well rested. <laughs> just be well rested. Now we come to his decision. This act that he does with Bathsheba. Is it really? I mean, it is a sexual sin, but is it more than just a sexual sin? Is it really coveting? And so many times we see this as a sexual sin because I think that's blatant. But David here might have been lazy. He's not where he's supposed to be. And now he covets. And so he wakes up and he sees this woman. Now again, there's a lot of interesting reads on does Bathsheba know he's watching? Does she do it by purpose? I really don't know. I will say, the more I look at and study it, I don't think Bathsheba uh, was innocent. I think she went right along with it. But, regardless, he looks and he sees something he shouldn't look at. Okay. That happens, guys. That happens in life, you know. I still remember going in Mexico on my honeymoon. and went into a grocery store. In Mexico, they don't have the same kind of filters here as the United States. So all the postcards and all this other stuff got some naked women on them. I'm like just going to buy a pack of gum. And I'm like, what? 
what, what am I looking at? Like, you always feel weird. It's like, oh, anyone see that? But there, it was normal, right? And so there's times where you see stuff you shouldn't see, but it might actually have been. I don't know if we could really say that for David right now. Again, everything we just said, he shouldn't be there. He's laid all this stuff. But the reason I want to build this up is I want to see that it is a process. And this process comes from the state of his spiritual walk. It is not like Bathsheba came to the door, undressed, and said, hey, let's do this. There is a time frame. He sees her. He has to inquire about her. He has to send people out. They have to go, get the answer, come back, then bring her back. I would assume him and Bathsheba have a little bit of talking to do before they then proceed into sin. This is not some quick thing, guys. This is not like when you sit there and hit yourself with a hammer on the thumb and you say, oh, and you fill in the blank. Those are kind of reactionary sins. This is not one of them. And sometimes we play that game of like, oh, man, David just saw and boom, he fell. It's a little longer than that. There's a lot of conversation going on from the rooftop to when they finally come together. Is it coveting? And the reason I say that is this. He's married. He has, I believe at this time, three wives. So there is, um, you know, he has three wives. So, he can see this lady, and he has options. He has options. What is the pull with Bathsheba? I would like to know or think now that it is the idea of coveting. The idea of, listen, I have sacrificed so much. I have always done the right thing. And you know what? I'm the king, and I want her. Even though I can't have her. But you know what? I can have her. Because I'm the king. I want my neighbor's wife. There is more of an attraction sometimes to getting what you can't have than actually what you get. Right? That's why in the Ten Commandments it says, Do not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's animals, all those things. Do not have such a strong passion for things that don't belong to you. Why? Because you should be content with what God's given you. That's why you actually read about it. I think it's in Proverbs. May she satisfy you always. The Bible is always talking about your wife being the one to satisfy you always. Don't go outside of your marriage. Because God gave you that spouse. And you don't want to go take someone else's spouse just because... Not yours. Feels good to take someone else's stuff sometimes. Feels good. That's the problem. He is not content with what God has given him. He wants to go outside. Now, in the area of covetousness, we better be careful. You know, it's interesting as I look at this again. We really don't talk about that a lot. <laughs> we. we here, I'm, I'm going to tell you a phrase that was running through my mind as I was studying this. When we talk about money, well, I mean, who has money? The other guy has all the money. Something like that. We're always talking about the other person with more money than us. And, and, and you know, I'm the poor guy. I can't survive. All that stuff. I, you need to be careful with that as believers. To what God has given us, we should be content with. 
Now, we really should not care about who, who has money and who doesn't. Now, again, don't get me wrong. If you don't have a lot of money, that's something you got to live with. That's, that's a struggle. But what I'm saying is we can easily talk as believers now, and underneath that money talk is a very uh, non-biblical view that says, I deserve more money than that person. That's where it's coming from. That's where your anger is coming from. I deserve more than them, and they shouldn't have it. Really? That's anti-Bible, guys. And I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty. I'm just saying, as I was looking at this, that's coveting. <laughs> I want what they want or what they have. And the, and the underlying theme of why we do not covet is God saying, I'm the one that satisfies you. And when you go outside of me, when you go outside of me, you're saying, I know I have God, but I want to go over here where my neighbor has this. You're saying that the worth of God is on the same level as that cow that your neighbor has that you want so bad. I mean, guys, that's brutal. That's an affront to God. That's that's offensive when he has given us so much. And so, yes, it is a sexual sin, but I think David wants something here just because he can. He's king. Ain't no one messing with him. When you're in this state, I love God's warning. David inquires and someone says, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah? Kenny Grant, his little plug for Journey, um, did an excellent um, portion on this. Uh, Whenever we uh, have sexual temptation, it's always someone's daughter. It's always someone as a person, a name, Bathsheba. And at this point, it's someone's spouse. (laughs) God lays out all three. God sends a messenger to David saying, you want this woman? Don't just look at her without a name. That's what pornography is, by the way. You have no idea who you're looking at. And that's why it's nice. As soon as you put a name on it, now the story changes. That's Bathsheba. That's Bathsheba. And it's so-and-so's daughter. Because the thoughts, when you hear that, change the mood a little bit. Guys don't like to hear that. And I, and I know I'm speaking to guys. It can go both ways. Girls can have the same kind of temptations. And finally, this woman is married. <laughs> I think it's interesting, the names. Bathsheba means oath or a promise. Her father's name can mean the people of my God. The name expressed the covenant, I will be your God, we will be thy people. Uriah means my light is Jehovah. David here has been promised by God an everlasting kingdom. And now he wants to go outside of what God has given him. And the names are, I made a promise I'd be your people, and Jehovah's my light. Don't do this, David. Let Jehovah's light guide you. I came I was your God. I came to dwell with the Israelites. I have promised you an everlasting kingdom. Don't do this with her. And he ignores it. He ignores it. 
man, how many times has God given us warnings right before we sin? And we want, to th- we want to throw it right out of our mind. Don't think about that for more than one second. Because if I do, I'm not going to want to sin anymore. So I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I mean, think about how this works, too. We'll talk a little later, but um, we, we can talk about it now. Look who he has involved in his sin. He's not only involved Bathsheba, he's involved Uriah, even though he had no idea. He's involved Joab in it. And now these messengers. Messengers, the word says in verse 4, plural. You imagine being at the king's service. King David called, you run up to the king. Who's that girl who lives at such and such an address? Why, Why does David want to know about her? Why does David want to know about her? David, he's a good guy. (laughs) Saved this country. Let's go check it out. Oh, this is one of David's leading armies, guy's wife. All right, let's go tell him. Hey, this is is Bathsheba. This is Uriah's wife. Go get her. Why does David want her? Let's go get her. Hey, Bathsheba, David wants you. And then, a couple months down the road, you hear that Uriah died. Now there's rumors circulating Bathsheba's pregnant. And out of the blue, David marries Bathsheba. If you're those messengers, what do you now think of your king? Is that why we brought Bathsheba to him? Really? Not David. Is that what we did? Again, our sin is not something that's just on us. It affects people. It affects a lot of people. Especially public sin. Public sin has to be dealt with because it affects so many people. And it gets all kind of bitterness and rage going on inside people. Be very careful. But why does he inquire? At this moment, man, this is like where you want to push pause. This is where you want to just say, come on, David, don't ask the question. You saw a naked girl, but now you have to go ask about her. Just leave it alone, man. Just go be with your wife. <laughs> go, you're king. Go, go on a trip. Go have fun. Go spend your money. Do something. Get out of the room. Why do you have to ask about her? Why do you have to inquire about her? You have money to play with. You have wives. Go entertain yourself if you need to. You're throwing yourself a pity party. Go do something, David. Don't ask the question. Why do you have to inquire about her? And I found in my own life how many times we inquire about things that we know want to start us down a road we don't want to go down. It's like this with movies. It's so funny, as I was saying with these illustrations, I had movies in my mind, and then if I give you the title, it ruins the illustration. So I'll say in general, movies. So a movie comes out that you know has scenes you shouldn't watch, and you go, oh, is it really filled with X, Y, Z? Why are you asking that question? Am I the only one that thinks like this? I'm putting myself out there a little bit. 
Because I don't think I am. Why are you asking about what's in the movie? Because maybe if I know it's there, when no one knows, I can go watch it. It's not worth my time if it's not in the movie. (laughs) Why are you asking about the movie? You don't need to ask about it. (laughs) You don't need to ask about it. I think there's a few things when it comes to sin that we ask about. That we ask about. What gossip is, what did that person say? Did you hear about that? Why are you asking about it? Do you really have a heart where you're concerned about the matter? Or it makes you feel good when someone else falls spiritually. And you want to rejoice actually in the fact that they fell as a Christian. We love to inquire. <laughs> and at this moment, he could have just walked away. The interesting thing is, he has to say, who is this, right? So think about that. If he walks away from the situation, is he going to run into her again? Again, I can't be dogmatic, but I don't think so. He's not going to run into her again. Again, I guess you could sit there on on the palace and stay out there every night waiting to see when she bathes again. But it is not someone he has to see every day. He made the choice to bring her into his life. And for the rest of his life, he suffers because of this. Man, the story of David is so great and we love it, but after this scene, that guy suffers. He suffers big time. Big time. All because of right here, instead of asking who is that, he could have just walked away. He could have just walked away. And I, I don't say I don't blame him, but I understand our human nature. I understand it. Let's do some practical application. What could he have done differently? I just want to talk very general. And maybe uh, this would help us. Um, what could he have done differently? He could have gone to war, right? That's an easy one. He wasn't where he's supposed to be. He could have gone to war. And sometimes we think there's no choice. Could he have gone to battle and not fought? If he was tired, if he was tired of swinging the sword, do you think he would have earned street cred with his soldiers, saying, boys, I'm going to go with you, I'm just going to sit this one out? I think so. Maybe not. I don't know. For us, when we are not where we're supposed to be, I really want to emphasize this practically. When you are not where you're supposed to be, when you're hanging out a majority of your time with non-Christians, it is not the fact, because sometimes we have taught this wrong, It is not that they will influence you so much that suddenly you will want to do the things they're doing and be like them. It is not that we don't hang out with a bunch of non-Christians all the time because there's such a bad influence on us. It's the fact that you're not being influenced by the Christians. There's a difference there. We go to church, do you know why? Some of it is because there's accountability. We don't like it, but there is. When you come here on Sunday, if I come and you smell all kind of craziness on my breath and I look high, someone's going to talk and go, why is he high in church? 
If I stay home, you think I was sick. But when you come to church, there's accountability. There is. And so hanging out so much in the world, not being where it's supposed to be, is not so much the world's influence as much as you are not being sharpened by someone else's iron. You do not have people that actually know what true love is and can love you appropriately. You are not putting that in your life. And so that's what we have to worry about. I'm not in the world. I'm also in a church. I just stay home all day. But you better be careful. You better be careful. Because you need people in your life who are believers. That's the idea of not being where you're supposed to be. David looks like he's all alone, right around dusk, walking around his rooftop. Why is he all alone? He's supposed to be around the boys he has fought with. The guys that know him. That's where he's supposed to be. To the point later, which is pretty cool, where he's fighting again years later. And he's about to die. You can read this later on in 2 Samuel because he's weak. He's actually getting old. He's getting old, he's weak, and he's about to get killed by a Philistine. And someone else comes in and saves him and kills the Philistine. And they said, you don't fight anymore. You're here, you don't fight anymore. We'll fight for you. That's the way it was supposed to be. But not here. (laughs) Not at this time. He could have pursued other interests in the kingdom instead of being lazy. You don't want to go to war? You don't have to sit around and sleep all day either. Go make your flower gardens. Go get, you know, you're the king, set up irrigation fields. I don't know what kings do. Get busy. Do whatever you want to do as the king, but don't sit around and sleep all day. You have a whole kingdom to run. You have the power and authority to do those things. Sometimes, especially with sexual sin or with covetousness, you don't sit around and just hope those thoughts go away. They don't go away, guys. (laughs) You don't just have sexual temptation and go, hmm. They don't go away. What you must do is fill your mind and life with other pursuits. And the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face. It is impossible to sit there with all kind of temptation in your mind and go, I'm just going to stand around and hopefully it goes away. That's foolish. That's absolutely foolish to do. You'll fail every single time. Get busy doing something. (laughs) Get busy doing something. At this time... Instead of inquiring about who she is, he could have simply prayed. (laughs) How good is David at praying? Why can't he drop to his knees and say, God, I want that woman. Can you help me? I want that woman. Why can't he pray? Why can't he seek wisdom? Why can't he seek counsel? He's the king. There's no wise counselors around him. I mean, David has the ability to, instead of this, say, you go move that woman out of here. You don't have to worry about why. Tell Bathsheba and Uriah they have now moved. Their house is on the other side of the country. And we're going to put an 85-year-old woman 
right there. All the men got that. (laughs) All right. Finally, and in closing, he could have returned to his first love. He could have gone back to the beginning. He could have wrote a few more psalms. He could have read God's word. Guys, there are times where we just don't have the love for God that we should. Because either we take him for granted or or we get used to him, whatever it is. But don't be afraid to go back to the beginning. Don't be afraid to sit there and go, I'm just going to read, you know, one chapter a day like I used to in middle school. I'm going to go back to doing whatever we used to do. Sometimes we adults, we just get like, well, that's what kids do. I'm going to try to memorize a verse once a week and say it to someone at church. I mean, there are so many things we can do to go back to the beginning of why we fell in love with him to begin with. But we don't. We don't. And when we have had our love grown cold, atrocities can happen. So if today, you might have sexual temptation, you might have covetousness, I think more than that, if you honestly look at yourself and go, you know what, my love's grown cold, then I beg of you and I'm begging myself, let's do something about it. We don't know what happens in the next couple months. Let's go back to the basics. Let's ask for prayer. Let's read our Bibles. Let's memorize a verse or two. Let's try to talk about the Lord. Let's go back and fall in love with our Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much that you, um, even after all this craziness, you said, I am from the line of David. Why would you associate yourself from this line? And yet, your ways are just not our ways. And so thank you, Lord. We pray for us in this room that we would see just how awesome, merciful, gracious you are. Help us, Lord, if we have temptations. Help us if we are coveting our neighbor's stuff. Help us with sexual temptation. We are living in such a sexual, crazed society. It's all around us. And we have real feelings. Help us to be smart. Help us to ask for help. Ask for advice. Lord, help us to just be conscious of our health. That we would go to bed when we're supposed to. That we would uh, eat the right foods. Things like that. Oh Lord, help us to not dishonor the name. May you be so uh, gracious that you um, would guard our testimonies. And we, we say it acknowledging that we can very easily ruin our testimonies in the blink of an eye. So, Lord, we pray that you would do mighty and wondrous things, that you'd protect us. Protect us even when we want to indulge in the flesh. Protect us so that you are not dishonored. Help us to fall in love with you. Help us this week as we read our Bibles to read. We're just trying to admire you. Just trying to figure out what we love about you. In your name, amen.